Would you please turn your Bibles to James 1, 26 and 27. James 1, 26 and 27. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this, one, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. When you read the five chapters that make up the Gospel of James, the book of James, he's not hard to understand. He has a way of making his point. And the basic overall point of the book of James, quite simply, is this. Faith that doesn't work, doesn't work. Faith that doesn't work, doesn't work with God. Faith that won't work, won't work. Our faith must express itself in love and service. Galatians 5 verse 8, Galatians 5 and verse 13. When you look at James chapter 1, and let's survey this chapter as we will endeavor to do the rest of the book of James from week to week on Sunday nights over the next several weeks. James chapter 1, note verse 1 and how the book begins. It does not begin, James, a pillar of the church and half-brother of Jesus Christ. Although he was a pillar in the early church, Galatians 2, 9. And evidently the author of this book is the half-brother of Jesus who became a witness of his resurrection. Acts 1.14, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7. How this letter begins is this. James, a servant. Mark it. He is a willing, wholehearted slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James has no problem talking about the Father and the Son in the same sentence and saying, I'm the servant of both. We should have no problem doing the same. Saying that we are God's servant. We are Christ Jesus, our Lord's servant. Notice that this book is addressed to the twelve tribes of the dispersion. By that reference there in James 1.1, just look over a couple of pages, jot it in your Bible maybe. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. That mentions pretty much the same thing in the opening two verses of 1 Peter. The idea of the twelve tribes... It seems to me that what James is doing is using Old Testament terminology to describe New Testament people. The twelve tribes. Galatians 3 and verse 7. If one has faith in Christ, Abraham is our father. Galatians 3.29. If you are Christ, 
Then are you Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Galatians 6 and verse 16. The people of God constitute the Israel of God. So in a very real way of speaking, we can think of ourselves, the people of God today in the New Testament, as being Abraham's heirs. But that's not all. He uses the term dispersion. Jews would have been very familiar with that because you either lived in Palestine, you either lived in Judea, or you were dispersed somewhere throughout the world. With the cause of Christ, with Christianity, due to persecution, Acts 8, 1 through 4, the dispersed, the scattered, went everywhere preaching the word. So he's talking to a group of people who have been bought by the blood of the Lamb, just like Israel of the Old Testament, except a better Lamb, a greater Lamb. He's talking to a group of people that are not home, but they are looking to serve the Lord, and they are looking in the direction of heaven, just as Israel of old looked in the direction of of the promised land. Now when you look at the 27 verses that make up James chapter 1, three words that will help you greatly appreciate the remaining portion of the chapter. James 1, 2 through 12. Trials. Trials. James 1... 12 through 18, temptations, temptations. And then 19 through 27 of James chapter 1, truth. Trials 2, chapter 1, verse 2 through verse 12, temptations. Chapter 1, verse 12 through verse 18. Truth, chapter 1, 19 through 27. James is eminently practical, a lot of common sense. But what he does initially is interesting. I want you to see that James is a book that deals with relationships. James is a book that deals with relationships. For example, in the passage that Brian read, if a man doesn't know how to bridle his tongue, his religion is useless. And then it goes on to say that part of pure and undefiled religion, notice the relationship aspect, you can mess up with your mouth relationally, but notice visiting the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. See the relationship? James 2 verse 1. Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ with respect of persons. Be careful about your relationships with others. That you don't look down on one that's poor and be mesmerized or allured by one who has a lot. 
James 2 verse 8 speaks of the royal law. To love your neighbor as yourself. That's relational, isn't it? James 3, 1 through 12 is all about our speech. And while many of us do talk to ourselves, mainly we talk to others. James 3, 13 through 18. The wisdom from below, the wisdom that is earthly, will distort and pervert healthy relationships and maybe even destroy them. That's relational. James 4, 4. You adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that friendship with the world is enmity, strife with God? James 4, verses 11 and 12. So speak ye as ones who will be judged by the law of liberty that he'd mentioned earlier in James 1. You keep looking and you get to the end of the book of James. It's relational. James 5 and verse 14. How we relate to people who are sick. How we relate to people that have gone astray. James 5, 19 and 20. So this book has a lot to do with relationships. Everybody agree with that? Just in that quick survey. No question about it. But that's not all. The book of James has sections that are intensely individual. And a perfect example of that is this first chapter. In order to be able to relate to others in a God-honoring way, in order to relate to one another horizontally, we need to make sure that God and us are on the appropriate page. And it's very individual here. Notice James 1, verses 2 through 4. Trials can be very personal, can't they? Others may know about them, but often no one knows about the trials that we face except us and God. The idea of double-mindedness is very individual. If any of you lack wisdom, verse 5, double-minded people are unstable in all their ways, James 1, 6-8. If any one of you thinks himself to be religious, any individual among you thinks himself to be religious and doesn't bridle his tongue. James 1, 26. Every one of you receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. We have an individual responsibility to God to do just that, James 1.21. And so what James is doing at the very outset is he's saying everything that I am going to be saying throughout the course of this book about relationships is very important, but the main relationship, priority one, is to make sure that you have a relationship with the Almighty. 
That's what he's saying. So let's proceed. Let's proceed with that in mind. Look, if you will, to James chapter 1, verses 2 through 12. We move quickly. In dealing with trials in our lives, things that are going on, these are the times that try men's souls. Look at James 1, verse 2. In your Bible, circle the word count or consider. Count your trials with a joyful attitude. Count a joyful attitude. Ouch. Ouch. Because he's already talking about our relationship with God and maturity. And it's a surefire sign of immaturity when trials come and we are just completely devastated and down and God seems to be out of the picture. Number two... No, look at James 1 verse 3. Circle that word. What he's doing here, y'all, is really great. He is putting together, Thomas, a necklace of pearls. He's stringing along concepts. And then he begins talking about the concept a little more that he's just introduced. And by the time he's finished, he has a beautiful pearl necklace. Count it all joy when you encounter manifold trials, trials of every stripe and variety, as multifaceted as you can possibly get, knowing that the trying of your faith works patience and understanding mind. When we undergo trial, do we also have an understanding mind? Knowing that the trying of your faith works what? Patience. And then the next verse. Verse 4. Let patience... See what he's done? He's stringing the pearls together, Troy. He's mentioned patience. And let patience have its perfect work. That you might be perfect and entire lacking nothing. So you've got let here, a surrendered will, a joyful attitude, a willing understanding mind, and a surrendered will. And then notice verses 5 through 8, and if you lack wisdom, what? Ask. So just in the first section, count, know, let, and ask. For wisdom and God who gives to all men liberally and upbraids not will respond. That leads me to verses 9 through 11. Remember, these early Christians were dispersed and many of them were poor and they were being mistreated by people who were wealthy in particular communities. 
Imagine being in an area and a time when inflation is far higher than it is presently. And that's what we may be talking about with people to whom James is writing. And they find themselves shackled and there's no way for them to improve their lives. And like it's often said, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. This is the type of situation many Christians were dealing with at that time. And not a few Christians throughout the world today. Remember, verses 9 through 11, to view poverty and riches from an eternal perspective. That's what verses 9 through 11 says. You know, there's going to be a great reversal of things in glory. People that were rich are going to see how poor they really were, and people who are poor are going to see how really rich they are and blessed in Jesus. Verse 12. Verse 12 is a hinge verse, and it, and it fits wonderfully with what he's just been saying about trials. But it also fits wonderfully with what he's going to say about temptations. And if it weren't for trials and temptations as tests in our lives, we think our lives would be a lot better. But James says, if you want to be mature, learn how to deal with trial and temptation. Now, look, if you will, at verses 13 through 18. Really, this is just a mini book on temptation. Verses 12 through 18. Verse 13 deals with the nature of evil. Let no man say when he is tempted that I am tempted of God. For God himself tempts no man, neither can he himself be tempted. Catch this, secondly. He deals with the nature of man. A man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust and enticed. He's gone from the nature of evil to the nature of humanity. Temptation really comes into our lives when we're drawn by our own lust and enticed. Temptation. You know, you could do a Google search on temptation, and it's everything from chocolate to uh, tempting clothing or something like that. It can be food. Temptations. And for those that are music aficionados, it wasn't that many years ago, there was a great group, Motown Sound, The Temptations. The Temptations. But what James is dealing with in James 1, 12 through 18 is the strong allurement to sin that we all face. And what is alluring and tempting for one of us may not be quite as alluring and tempting to another of us. Keep looking at the text. The nature of lust. Then lust, when it conceives, brings forth sin, and sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. Do not be deceived. 
Keep looking at the passage and you've got the nature of God. The nature of God. You have the judgment of God in verse 15. You've got the truth of God. Do not be deceived. You've got the truth of God in verse 16. In verse 17, every good and perfect gift proceeds from the Father. You've got the goodness of God in verse 17. You have His consistent goodness in whom there is no variance, neither shadow of turning. You've got the unchanging nature of the fact that God is good. So be careful not to blame Him for your temptations. And then you have in verse 18 the will of God that gives us the Word of God so that we can become the people of God. The will of God so we can know the Word of God so that we can become the people of God. And what verse 18 does, ladies and gentlemen, is it brings out that concept of truth, the Word of truth. So what are we dealing with? Trials, James 1, 2 through 12. Temptations, James 1, verse 12 through 18. And then truth, James 1, 19 through 27. Quickly, now. As we look at verses 19 through 21, receive the truth meekly. Receive the truth meekly. You can tell a lot about a person by how eager they are to hear God's Word. Your Word have I esteemed more than my necessary food. Job 23, 12, Job said that. Your word was the joy and rejoicing in my heart. Your word was found and I did eat it, Jeremiah 15, 16. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be filled, Matthew 5 and verse 6. Receive the word meekly. Contextually, notice that the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God, verse 20. But the text goes on to say, be swift to hear. The immediate context is to be eager and ready to hear God's Word. Sometimes we talk about, well, we've got two ears and one mouth and we ought to listen twice as well as we speak and we're talking about conversation in general. I understand that, but what this passage is saying in James 1 is that when the Word of God is preached, you need to be hungry. You need to be eager. You need to be ready. And while a preacher can and should do everything that we can to bring you in, to keep you involved, to keep you engaged, you have a responsibility before God. It's between you and Him. Ultimately, Adam and I are not responsible for your relationship with God, though we want to encourage it and do everything that we can to help you. You're responsible to have a relationship with God. You are. Be swift to hear, slow to speak. 
Some people are so busy talking to God, telling Him stuff, don't you know God already knows it? Don't you? Maybe we need to zip our lips and be swift to hear and slow to speak. And then slow to anger. When it comes to God's Word, sometimes we don't like what God's got to say. Because it stings and it hurts and it reproves and it rebukes and it corrects. Contextually, that's what it means to be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. And yes, I think it's a great general principle. It's a really wise thing to do all the time. But if we are going to have reverence for God and love Him, we need to be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Amen? Look again, if you would, at verses 22 through 25. Practice the Word. What He has done in the verses preceding, verses 18 through 21, is speak of God's Word as seed, the engrafted Word, the implanted seed, which is able to save your souls, James 1.21. First fruits we are, James 1.18. But now He moves to the illustration of a mirror. And you know, mirrors, I've gotten to where I like mirrors less and less. And I guess it's because I've grown to like less and less what I'm seeing. And maybe you can relate to that. This section is about practicing the Word. Some people just glance at the mirror. Just a passing glance. And the mirror in this passage is God's Word. Now, fellas... You guys do not just give the mirror a passing glance. You don't, do you? You look, and then you go, What's that? What's this right here? It's really easy to give the mirror of God's Word just a passing glance. Another mistake that we make with the mirror of God's Word is this. We forget what we saw. Maybe we had a passing glance and we noticed something. We said to ourselves, I'm in a hurry, I'll see to that later. If somebody tells me my hair is messed up, believe you me, I think I will see about that later. The passing glance, the forgetting what we saw. But finally, how about the failure to take necessary action? We look in a mirror and we fail to take necessary action. Wow. Now look at verses 26 and 27. James concludes this chapter by saying that how we use the truth to deal with our trials and troubles will impact our speech. See that in James 1.26? How we use the truth to deal with our trials and troubles will impact our speech. 
it will impact our service. Visit the fathers, the fatherless rather, and the widows in their affliction. How we use the truth to deal with our trials and troubles will help us with our service. But that's not it. That's not how the chapter ends, though it's close. It will help us how we use the truth to deal with trials and troubles. It will help us in our sanctification. Keep oneself... See, individual responsibility. Keep oneself unspotted from the world. The way you and I use the Word of God to deal with our trials and temptations says a lot about our relationship with God or the lack thereof. We're about to stand and sing our song of encouragement. Maybe someone is here this very evening that needs to come to Jesus and faith, repentance and baptism. If that person is you, please don't delay. The trials and temptations that come your way may cause you to wander farther from the Lord. How about responding to Him tonight? It'll be the best decision you've ever made. And for those of us who are Christians, faith that won't work, won't work with God. Thank you for listening. Let's stand and sing.